Good day and welcome to Rocket with Chief. My name is Daniel Robus. I'm your host. And today is uh, an episode which is close to my heart. It's got a lot to do with education and education of learners. Being a father of two girls, this is really, I'm in the thick of things. And education has changed over the years, but fundamentally it's the same. We want our children to enter the world with the right tools, the right emotional foundation and the right mindset to be positive humans solving problems that we have made. On my route to school, uh, uh, I passed three or four schools on the way. Do we need more? And then I read a News 24 article about a fantastic idea, a school with the biggest gaming arena in Africa. It piqued my interest. So we chased Sean down and wanted to chat. If you don't know Sean, folks, you're about to meet someone who is an entrepreneur, a leader, an author, a risk taker with the strategic thinker thrown in. I think, Sean, you are blessed more than most. But at your heart, you're a teacher. And if I'm not mistaken, history. Sean, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me on the, on the show. Now, in your lofty position as the, the, the top of all these empires, do you actually still go into a classroom? Do you still teach learners at all? Absolutely. I think as a teacher, you never stop teaching is, is, is the one comment. And history is right. It's probably the best subject that, uh, that, uh, that one could have in, in any learning environment. I'm completely biased, obviously. But yes, I still teach, you, you know, in terms of where we, when we open Centennial Schools, we, uh, I, I suppose we disrupted quite a number of things in terms of education. And a, a lot of it was in here. And in order to demonstrate what needed to be done, I needed to make sure that I was teaching. So I certainly, I taught our middle school grades seven, eight and nine, um, and uh, absolutely loved it. I hadn't been in the classroom for about, Oh, about 12 years because wow. I'd obviously, as you know, moved into the corporate space of education mm. um, and uh, it was completely natural. It was that it's been the six most enjoyable months I've had in years and have wow. absolutely loved it. And the students have loved it. And uh, you know that. I mean, so, yes, still still teaching at the moment. That's not going to last forever, mm. but uh, we'll still try and keep as much of that contact as possible. Brilliant. That's so nice. Now, uh, you make mention on the Centennial website that we are, are less teaching, more facilitating. What does that mean before parents get in a panic? So your teachers, the traditional role of a teacher, um, let me go back a bit. Schools that we literally have. So let me let me start here. So. We went through a pandemic of two years and we are going to go through more down the line so that we know and uh, our scientists will tell us that. So the world will continue to evolve and change. We go through a pandemic, most things change completely from lockdowns to businesses, how businesses function from remote working to hybrid models to all sorts of things. Yet our schooling system stays 100% the same almost. So after two years of some remote teaching, team teaching, etc., students go back to school and we go back to uh, January, February of 2020. 
Okay, so here's my argument as a teacher. You, in September 1939, on the cusp of World War II, September 1945, the end of World War II, the world changed completely, completely, from science to education to business to absolutely everything. You cannot go back to September 1939. Yet in our education system, we are straight back to February of 2020 and not much has changed. We had the perfect opportunity to change. So let's go back to the teacher facilitator. Your teacher in the current system is a teacher. Students come into the class. The classroom was designed for the 20th century model. Even my argument goes to uh, education system was designed on the back of the Industrial Revolution uh, mm. three, four hundred years ago. OK, we needed workers, this massive process of urbanization, and we needed to educate these workers because we had these factories um, coming up in towns, et cetera, et cetera. So the education model kind of changed and we almost have the same type of education. So when you talk to parents, you're going to say grand, mom, daughter, all three could have gone to the same school, same classroom, same furniture, hopefully not the same teacher, OK? <laughs> And the education system hasn't changed. A smart board on the wall does not mean we are technologically advanced. So your teacher in that environment teaches. I stand in front of the class, I teach. I give the content, I'm the bearer of content. We know that our students today are the most digitally literate generation on this planet, Generation Z, okay? Or Z as the Americans like to say. They are the most digitally literate generation on this earth, yet we are still teaching them with the same pedagogy, the same teaching methodology as we did in the 20th century. Your facilitator facilitates that environment, because if I say to my students, I want you guys to put together some information on the French Revolution and specifically, and I give them the parameters, I guarantee you they will source the content, they will find the information. What do I do as the facilitator, as the teacher now? I facilitate the skills. How do they take that information? How do they interpret it? How do they argue it? What do they look at from a source point? How many sources have they researched? Those are the skills that we need to give our students. Because if I'm going to ask you, please tell me one thing that you remember from your education at school. Rote you might learning. remember some content. Yeah, but your final learning. matric exam statistics will show us that you learn for your matric exam. You write, you pass. Three months later, you write the same exam without having learned how much retention has taken place. There's a massive percentage of what you've lost. So it has to be a skills driven and it has to be facilitated by the traditional teacher, which now for us becomes a roving facilitator in our learning hubs. Do you see us adding new subjects like like logic and rhetoric back into the curriculum, which have, uh, seemed to be, um, so you, you spoke about how do we find, present, argue, what are our sources of content? I mean, do you think we're gonna be changing our traditional subjects now? There, there needs to be a will. Unfortunately, education is political. So, and it doesn't matter where you look, from the United Kingdom to the United States, 
to China, totalitarian states, I mean, you, you name it. Education is political. There needs to be a political will to change education for the right reasons. Okay? okay. So when we have that level of thinking, we're able to do that. If you're in an environment or a society where your experts in education can have the role with the politics removed, I believe you can relook at the curriculum completely and introduce subjects that are completely relevant uh, for 2022 and beyond. Okay, but we can't do that now. Even if we know that we want to do it, we can't do it because of the shackles of politics, ego, Correct. and empire building. Is it not so, because yeah. schools are 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 basically babysitting? so that we can be more productive as a society? There, I think th th that label might apply to certain schools. There are schools that are doing incredible work out there mm. and that are really pushing the boundaries. The, mm. the, the, the problem with that is that it's not the entire school. It largely focuses on an individual. So you will have a teacher that just has this mindset that wants to, that knows that the curriculum is so frustrating because it's antiquated. Why am I learning about this? What are the skills I'm trying to get out of this? Um, and they will challenge that. But it's not, it doesn't filter through to the entire DNA of the school. The, that's what Centennial Schools is about. Well, it, tell me about, well, tell me about the Centennial Elevator pitch. Why, why should I consider Centennial for my girls? So one of the things in putting together Centennial Schools is exactly what I said earlier, my frustration of an education system um, and I've run some really big education kind of um, groups mm. is and as a school, as a, as a headmaster at one point in time. And one of the frustrations is that w our students will matriculate. So at the end in January of the next year, you're going to have private schools going ballistic, taking tens of thousands rands worth of adverts to tell you that their matric students got 4.2 distinctions or 3.5 distinctions, or we had a 100% pass rate, et cetera, et cetera. So what? Because every single one of those kids is not qualified to do one single job. They cannot go into the job market. We haven't prepared them for anything. So yes, I'm going to matriculate with seven or eight distinctions, but what am I qualified to do? I'm not qualified to do anything. So what did we do at Centennial Schools? We needed to change the pedagogy. And it's interesting because people don't always understand the word pedagogy. So pedagogy I was going to ask you to define it because it's a big word for a so, Wednesday morning, so Thursday morning. <laughs> So pedagogy is my teaching methodology, the methods I use to teach. Okay. Okay. So we want to do so the idea was I needed to change the pedagogy. How? Well, first of all, you have to change the physical space. So the design of your campus needs to change. And you cannot design it in a 20th century concept, which is what most schools do. So guaranteed the three private schools you drive past built and designed their campuses on a 20th century model. Classroom, teacher, teacher stays in classroom, 25 or 30 desks in a row, <coughs> teacher in front of the class, teaching the students. Students after 30 or 45 minutes, bell goes, they move to the next class, okay? 
They all wear very nice uniforms that are completely irrelevant because we inherited that from the British colonial system. And the logic of wearing a polyester blazer on a half felt 32 degree summer afternoon makes zero sense. And it's got nothing to do with discipline. Absolute rubbish. Because at 2.30 when school ends, most of those kids ties off, blazer off, shirt untucked, and they're off. They don't, it's not natural. So unless you're in a military, why are we wearing uniforms? So one, we got rid of the uniform. It made no sense. We also got rid of it from the practicality and from a financial cost. So parents don't have to spend that kind of money. The counter to that is people will say, but so-and-so wears only top branded stuff and this one doesn't wear this and that, or, or, or you know, your, your poorer kids. The reality is uh, we're in private education. Our school, we are gearing for obviously your middle class, all right? And South Africa has its own unique challenges in terms of uh, our, our kind of different LSMs in our country. And the, 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 we have not, since we've opened in January this year, we have not had an issue where kids want to outdress the other students. We have a very clear dress code, what's acceptable, what's not, and students subscribe to that, they sign it as part of their code of conduct, and they buy into it. So the school runs on a very strong values-based system. In terms of changing the, the, the physical environment, we created a campus where I looked at organizations like Tesla, like SpaceX, like Google campuses, like Apple, Microsoft. What are they doing that makes them such successful 21st century organizations? What aspects make them successful? Because there are areas that are not, of course, in any organization and took those and built it into the campus. So our learning hub replaces the classroom. Learning hub is much bigger. It's dynamic. It is, the furniture in it is mobile. So your chairs there, which we call our Moby chairs, move into different configurations. So you have, uh, so you, you have Moby chairs. You then have tiered seating students can sit on. You have high standing desks. We know students who are standing, one, it's healthier. It's, uh, they tend to be more, in, more involved, more attentive. Um, or the, the, we have bean bags, depending on the type of lesson. So your students are based in that specific learning hub. So 8C, for example, is, has their learning hub. They don't move. Your teachers move. The logic of, do I move 400 students every 30 or 40 minutes? Or do I move 30 teachers? Well, move 30 teachers because by doing that, your teachers uh, moving to the different learning hubs, you are saving up to 40 to 50 academic minutes per day. Okay, because we know that in schools where students move, when I'm going from English to maths, instead of five minutes, it'll take me seven minutes um, to get to the next class. Each lesson is also different. So the students based in the learning hub, Maths teacher wants a configuration which is lecture style, let's say, and the Moby chairs are set up like that. The, the um, next teacher comes in and suddenly it's in those Moby chairs are moved into a circle. So even though the students are based in the same venue, their venue changes physically every 30 to 40 minutes, depending on the type of lesson. So that's the physical space we change. We built what we call creative hubs. Students book those creative hubs. Those are really funky kind of student style boardrooms. 
all our students work off laptops. So we partner with Asus, we spec really good laptops, good, better, best. Um, those laptops will see the students through to university if they choose to go to university. So it's a good investment for the parents. Mm -hmm. We're a Microsoft school. So our students use the Microsoft tools to as part of their learning process. So you have a 13 year old going on booking the boardroom or the creative hub because him and his friends have got a problem based task that they need to work through and we've provided a facility for them to do that. It's not a case of, OK, guys, this group go outside, that group do this. We've also built collaboration hubs between the learning hubs so students can pop into those collab hubs, have a collaborative discussion, put a presentation together. The, the physical environment complements the change in pedagogy, if that makes sense. A hundred percent. I don't agree with you on everything and, and we're going to. That's good. Sure. That's why we're here. But um, the 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 concept of a of an elevator pitch, I'm going to ask you again, is um, if you've got time between me and the fifth floor to say why my girls should go to your school, what's that shortened? Why should we why should we not go traditional? Why should we come to Centennial? Because Centennial Schools is relevant for 2022 and beyond. Awesome. And your teachers that are coming in, I mean, you haven't had the time to breed these teachers. They've come through the same, I want to use it, pedagog pedagogy. Yes, yes. Yes, pedagogy. They've had the same pedagogy as we have. What are you doing with these teachers now to bring them up to speed in this new role of facilitation? I know one is... Um, probably our naming conventions for for these uh, facilitators. What else? How are you bringing them up to speed? So every single teacher was handpicked. There are teachers out there that are so ready for um, the, uh, the this new style of teaching. And so I obviously I've been in the business for thirty. You must be the years. most loved dude amongst principals in the <laughs> West. Right? It's like yeah, Christmas I, I, card. You, you, no. Yeah, yeah, I, I think a lot of people thought it was crazy kind of starting it. It's like um, you, you have an app that calls it a, 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 a taxi and uh, when you want it and you see exactly how much it's going to cost and it'll show you a route. People say, that's ridiculous. We would just keep a normal taxi and then suddenly you have an app called Uber. You know, it, it's the, the the challenge when you disrupt something is it's the early adopters that that uh, are, are critical to the success of the of the organisation. Um, so so with the teachers, um, one there are many teachers out there that are ready for this. In 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 my entire career as a as a head of school, as a managing director of two very large successful teaching groups in private education, I've never received so many CVs as I have in the year that we announced the opening of Centennial Schools. So it's, and that's been absolutely incredible. Um, we do spend a lot of time with our teachers where we do a lot of work in terms of um, sharing ideas, sharing best practice, what's working, what's not working, what do we have to adjust? Um, and that's ongoing, that development mm is always ongoing and 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 it will always be ongoing. Uh, you know, my, my my opening line at the beginning of this year to the staff was if you're going to teach the same way you were teaching at your previous school, this is not the right school for you because you can't do that. You mm. cannot think traditional mm. education. Mm. Mm. Sean, um, uh, where are you from a global scale? Who do you compete against or who's the benchmark? Who who are you trying to model against to do that learning or 
without sounding completely arrogant, are you breaking new ground globally? Where, where, do, where would you see Centennial? I think um, there's nothing that's been based. Often parents come and say, okay, is this part of an international uh, group or whatever? It's not. It's Joburg born and bred. That's been, you know, that's my hometown. Uh, I've lived here my entire life and uh, been in South African education for my, for mm. all of that. Mm. So it's been, it's been kind of bred out of uh, an educationist sort of thinking from grassroots wow. through to management. Um, and I've taken what I believe is, again, the most relevant for 2022. So yes, there are certain schools that, are, that have got elements of what we're doing. Um, there are things that we've done that I think are completely new. Um, wow. The building of that esports arena, mm. um, I don't know yet. Uh, I know on the African continent, we don't have anyone that has that, but I I haven't yet globally seen a school that has the same facility that we have. Um, and I based that model on the American universities because it's American colleges that had the funding to be able to do that. So mm. that for me, mm. uh, I don't know yet. So I don't want to say globally, that's what we have. And that's not what we're trying to do. You know, what, we, mm. what we're trying mm. to do mm. is create an authentic and relevant education for our kids mm that when they finish school, they are prepared for certain other things, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and um, and in terms of the model, we, so, 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 so. So you're going to have visitors coming to see you. You're going to have visitors now from Dubai coming because they, they, they want to get ahead in this game and start attracting to people who would want to go to school in Dubai if you could live in UK, whatever. So, so that's very, very exciting. Um, I do have a question about the esports. I know it's growing momentously around the world. I mean, the prizes they're giving away for esports challenges are, are huge. You've got to be in there. But surely, in an in an era where our kids are spending more and more on uh, uh, time online, connected, more and more time behind devices, shouldn't we be encouraging our learners to be on stage? playing an instrument not connected, being outside, being in nature? Yes and no. Um, one, <laughs> one, you can't one, say that. Uh, that well, that's dreadful, man. That's so, so, the yes, so, so the yes part comes probably from our own upbringing as adults. Okay, okay? so that's the yes part. The no part is the generation that we have at the moment. So we we do all that and how do we incorporate that we take technology and we use that to accelerate exactly what you're saying yet we balance it with a very clear wellness program so for example in our campus we built an incredible fitness facility uh, our students do in the curriculum we built in things we have a we have a yoga and a pilates studio so our students once a week in their in their curriculum timetable they go for yoga they they focus on breathing focus on the concentration just calming down we they then do three sessions a week of fitness we have qualified crossfit instructors that come in they do boxing they do personal fitness and what's interesting is we balance it so the reality is why did we go that route and not the traditional route if you as you say you did your homework my i became a teacher because i coached rugby and i loved water polo and water polo mm. was my entire existence for many years as a teacher. And I coasted right through to national level. The, so I understand the value of sport. But mm. the reality is, and the same question I'd ask you, when you left school, how many of your friends and yourself 
continued with team sport for fitness? Mm. Probably very few, if any. Mm. Yet how many do you know today still go to gym, do Pilates, do yoga, etc. Mm. So what we're doing is we're building into the DNA of the students, the appreciation that wellness is a critical aspect beyond school. Mm. So our students will know they will be so comfortable going into any fitness facility because mm. we have taught them professionally from the beginning, this is what you do. This is how you warm up. This is how you pack your weights away. This is how you use the equipment and they start seeing the success. Our mm. students are encouraged to join t uh, club sports. So mm. for example, you can take a, a group of our boys have all joined one particular football club. They mm. still competing, they're still playing mm. matches, they're still being coached. Mm. We have students who have water polo clubs, swimming clubs, um, mm. uh, uh, hockey at the, down the road at Morningside Astro. Mm. So the students are still involved in that. But guess what? Their core strength and fitness is incredible because mm. we have a proper mm. facility where they are trained. Mm. The flip so we're side going kind of Europe on the sporting side where that's common in Europe. That's common Correct. in the UK. So in South you, know, Africa, you go unheard. to school for school. Uh, uh, totally unheard of. Yeah. And again, I don't know if I agree with you, but I, I understand the logic behind it. I understand what you're building from a school perspective. That's exciting. When you asked another private school, what's your answer to public sector education? Where does it go? Because I know you've got more depth to you than a pavement puddle. You wouldn't be in education if you were all in it for the money. What what, what do we do about public sector? Or are you is your mandate private sector, middle class, make it strong? We don't look left or right. One of the tragedies of our current society in South Africa is that your state-run organisations are disastrous. Okay. So from medical to electricity to the, the list will go on and on and on. First time I was in London now in the last month, first time I've ever been to Heathrow where I never saw the South African Airways playing. So tragic, huh? Uh, so it's it tragic. is tragic. So what is successful in South Africa? Well, your health services are incredibly successful. Why? Because they're private. Your education, private education generally is very successful regardless of the 20th century kind of uh, continuous teaching. <laughs> I can okay. see that you, that was tough for you to say there, Sean. That was hard. I, I was trying to be polite because, because they are good things. I am pleased. I'm not putting down what other schools are doing, but if, if you know, they have their own difficulty in changing. But to get back to the to get back to the question, so within the private sector is where we will succeed in South Africa. If, even if you look at telecommunications, telecoms a disaster. But your tele private telecommunications industries, absolutely well, functional, right. running, no issue, accountable, absolutely superb. So for me, educate. How are we going to do this? You can. We can go. We can educate one student at a time to make a difference, or I can go a big bang approach, which is not going to be successful. What's very important for me is, and I say this unashamedly. I did not start Centennial Schools to make money. Centennial Schools was started because there needed to be a difference in education. Yes, we're private because we fund ourselves 100%. What was critical was I wanted to ensure we were offering a premier level service and education. So we compete with the best of the best in terms of education, but at almost half the fee and it can be done. So if you do an analysis on your top schools, 
Take a in Johannesburg, for example, and look at their fee. The majority are sitting in a high school education of 13 to 17,000 Rand per month per child. Now, on a sporting boat, what is most of that going to? Is going to facilities. Okay. Now, I would, I did a survey a number of times through my career on how many kids are doing actively using your facilities. Less than 40% of your students use your facilities in the high school environment. Mm -hmm. Primary school is different. Primary school, they're all involved. They want to do athletics. As they grow and as they get into more senior years, less and less. So now you're building a 35 million rand aquatic center. You've got a school of 1,600 kids. Guaranteed less than 200 will use that facility. But who's paying for it? All the other parents. So our logic was, as on the sporting ground, join the clubs. As a mm. parent right now, mm. as South Africans, our middle class South Africans are hemorrhaging at the mm. moment. And the majority of their money is going to education, bond and car payments. That's where the money is going to. So for me, we looked at how do we offer a model that is incredibly competitive? Our school fee sits at 7,850 Rand. And that's the fee. So it include everything I've spoken about, the fitness, the e-sports, the, the, um, the, 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 all the facilities on campus, all of that is included. So to go back to the original question in terms of kind of what do we do? Is this just a once or thing? I think Centennial Schools will be able to offer this level of authentic and relevant education to more people because families can afford this. A good government school is about 5,000 Rand a month in Johannesburg, in the mm. northern suburbs. Mm. For 2,800 Rand more, your child's going to come to a private school that is really tackling the issues and preparing our kids for 2022 and beyond. Mm. Well, there's a lot to think about there, Sean. That's, that's a lot. I'm going to deviate and go where no man has gone in a while. How would you, your leadership style be described by someone who left your employ? Mm, um, I think it's, it's, um, I think servant leadership would be, I would hope would be the, would be the, the, um, the description. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I would probably put it into that. That's nice to aspire to, I think. Sean, you you are at the forefront of a very um, dynamically changing environment. How do you stay current? Are you a podcast person? Are you a reader? Are you a TV person? And what can you recommend that we can read? So I think one of the, so podcasting, interesting, I mean, I've been on a few um, and my, 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 my challenge, I suppose, I sound like a politician, but my challenge is that um, I don't make the time because when I should be listening to podcasts, which is ideally in traffic and driving, I kind of just zone out and listen to jazz and just calm down and get through. <laughs> traffic. So, I, and, and I have listened to a few podcasts there, but nothing, 
So how do you I stay ahead of the game? I, I, I do a lot of reading and reading, okay. not so much in terms of books, but reading in terms of just researching topics, um, seeing what's current, what's relevant, different organizations. Um, uh, I mean, there's so much out there. You know, there's not something specific that I would, uh, you know, that I would recommend. Um, what's the topic you're going down at the moment? What's the rabbit hole that you're chasing at the moment? Um, I think what, at, the, at the moment for me, it's looking at sort of the gamification of teaching. So how do we wow. gamify the the as part of that kind of offering? Um, and and that's what I'm sort of looking at at the moment. Um, yeah. How do we, you know, your 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 earlier question, how do we continue to stay relevant? Uh, it's, it's I think the easy part was the our kind of catchphrase on Centennial Schools is, um, uh, you, you know, we we kind of um, uh, reimagining today's schools. Yeah. And so in yeah. 20 years time, I still expect the current leadership or the leadership at that time of Centennial Schools to continue to reimagine today's schools because wow. our schools in, in, in 2042 uh, are going to be very different to 2022. Yeah, yeah. If you if you um, could have dinner with any thought leader today, who would it be and where would you treat them? Probably Donald Trump. Sean, on my butt. What the hell? Come on. Okay, you got to unpack that. Because how how can you, <laughs> you you know you you would want to understand. For me, I would want to understand how someone like that can actively believe that he's a useful human being. I'm so glad you went there. I was about to say, come on. Wow. That and where would you take them, eh? In Joburg. Where where's your go-to for a special restaurant for a special dinner? Um I love the 44 on Stanley. I love the, oh, nice. the kind of rejuvenation of the city. You know, I grew up in the in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, my dad had um had uh, health studios in town. I used to wow. catch the number 32 bus from JP Boys into town. So I have very nostalgic memories of yeah. Johannesburg. And uh, I certainly, yeah, 44 Stanley for me is quite a, it's it's just, I think the, so what nice, the guys eh? have done there is fantastic. If ever you get the chance, you probably have, but Johannesburg after dark, the storytelling evening in the, the vault of the original bank, we did it oh, a wow. couple of, it was amazing. If you've ever you got guests, tr yes. treat yourself to that. You know, that's in the middle of Fantastic. town and just a lovely um, uh, and the rec the storyteller is it, just talking around our culture in the city and how it's changing every 25 years and how we shouldn't be afraid of change, which is something that you're instituting. It's big change. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's almost the question I'd like to br bring it to a wrap which is what one piece of advice would you give to parents today with regards to prepping their kids for the world? If they never come to Centennial School, mm -hmm. what would you say to parents who are, are going through this? You know, we've got grade three, grade five, grade 10, grade 11. Oof. Yeah. You know, we say don't medicate by Google because you will probably have died of every disease under the sun. <laughs> I would almost kind of say, try not to, you know, try not to, because a lot of parents do a lot of research, but, mm. you know, you know your child better than anyone. 
in most cases until they become teenagers. By the way, I'm, I'm not sure. I think you're, you're. I'm guessing your kids are primary school still. Yeah, I've got one in grade eleven. Uh, okay, so, right. so yeah, you, no, no, so you understand. Once they become teenagers, different story. But I, I, I really think that um, in terms of education for parents, uh, be cautious not to try and relive your own kind of what I did, what I was successful, what I wasn't successful at um, through your children. And it sounds cliched, but it happens every single day. And just mm. because it was right for granddad and dad to have gone to a particular school does not mean that uh, Johnny uh, is going to be the same kind of kid in that environment. Mm. You know, find a school that's really resonates with your child. And, and, and I'm finding now that often the, the the students parents are, are are seriously looking at the the students buying into their education and consulting them and asking them are you happy we've seen three or four different schools what do you like about this why that is the right way to do it ah uh, that resonates with me very much um and uh, to all of our our, our um, audience the best way to get the best out of your kid is through dialogue, just like employees. I know they don't bring any revenue into the business, but man, they make a difference. And a happy child is is priceless. Where do people find more about Centennial? When are you going to Cape Town, Durban? Is there plans for that? What are the expansion plans? Do you have open days? Yeah, so we, we actually have an open day on the 3rd of September. Um, although I don't, uh, th that's kind of following a very traditional model where schools open. Mm. Our school is open any time to parents to book an appointment at, you know, find a time that's convenient, bring the student with, bring dad with, grandma, doesn't matter who, the important role players in their child's kind of life come to the school. We do a full tour. Um, we go through everything, we explain it, we physically show it, we encourage students to come and spend a day on campus to try before you buy almost, just to see mm. if really mm. this resonates with them. We've not had a student that has not absolutely loved it and wanted to start immediately when they've done that. Um, so yeah, and then obviously our Centennial Schools website, centennialschools.co.za, um, easy to find us in Google now, so we've got a really strong digital um, campaign going, uh, happening at the moment. Awesome. Uh, expansion plans, I would love to have this as uh, in as many cities as possible. Again, we fund mm. ourselves, mm. so mm. it's not always easy. Our plan is to open in the Western Cape in 2024. Um, there, there are two specific areas we're looking at at the moment. Um, so once we finalize that, we'll, we'll make that public. Um, we do plan on Pretoria, Pretoria East, we're looking at Joburg West. We're looking at um, KZN once the once I think things settle down there. Mm. Um, so we we are looking, and then of course the new nodes are developing in in South Africa. There, as I'm sure you know, there are coastal cities that are suddenly booming because there's a yeah. massive influx yeah. of people. So you know that goes to we're we're now in September 1945. Things have changed and things are happening so we're looking at those areas as well to bring in um, some really exciting education on bombella as well just cities that are going yeah um for someone who um, um education is a big thing for me because i'm i went to about seven schools so i know a lot of schools wow. uh, i just wish you all the best because we we need to change it and we need it to go and children you said it with such wisdom 
if they find their happy place and they've bought into it, they can only do well. And whether that's a traditional school for some kids just yeah. like that, or it's a new modern school of what you're talking around, um, I'm so glad there's a space for them. Sean, I'm, I'm really humbled that you gave us some time just to chat about your vision. I'm really excited for it. Uh, and I wish you everything of the best as you uh, take this first year and you, you take these brave new parents through the education and you take these brave new learners through this new learning and you take these brave new teachers. We wish you every bit of success uh, and we will be sharing um, your website details uh, on, on the podcast. From me, Daniel Robus, I just want to thank you for a very interesting 40-minute chat. Thank you. Appreciate it.